Welcome to The Pitch Room. I am Malia Powers with HeavyBit. On this show, we regularly talk about all things PR, including current events, crisis comms, PR tools and tips, reputation management, all with a special focus on developer communications. Each episode will bring you actionable tactics and strategies that you can implement today for real business results. If you're interested in being a guest or have a subject that you would like to hear about, email us at press at heavybit.com. Hi all, and welcome to The Pitch Room. I am Malia Powers with Heavybit, and I'm joined today with Cameron Perrone. I'm excited to have Cameron with us today as he has extensive experience helping young companies that are facing developers grow quickly, and he is here to talk about his experiences and offer advice. Thank you, Malia. Uh, my name is Cameron. I'm an expert in marketing to developers. Um, I've spent the last three years in helping companies uh, grow from either C to A or from A to Series B rounds. Uh, that would be two companies. One is uh, Nuvem, which was acquired by Datapipe in 2013, and most recently Redis Labs, um, which is a company which provides a fully managed Redis for developers. It's great to have you here today, Cameron. A quick background for our listeners, Cameron recently did a speaker series with us uh, on creating killer trend stories. So be sure to check that out in our HeavyBit library. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and kick off our program with our first question. Now, this may sound like a really simple question, but why is getting coverage important to a business? That is a good question. You see a lot of companies getting uh, coverage on on sites like TechCrunch, or they have they make they make very big investments into uh, blogging. I think the goal that any kind of founder should be looking at is you really need to surround the IT organization with content related to the problems that your end users are suffering from, and possible solutions. You really need to be a part of that discussion. So. I think for any uh, early, I think as most of the listeners of this podcast are, they're probably in very early stage companies, and it's very difficult to get your name out, but in order to, to be part of the discussion that an end user or an influencer or the decision maker will have about your offering, you really need to surround that organization with, with content about your offering and, and the problems that you are solving. And PR is a very good way to do that. If you are able to engage with the right types of influencers and bloggers and uh, analysts, you can cover quite a bit of ground that would otherwise be very expensive or take a long time to do. Great. And do you have a media hit that you're particularly proud of? Uh, fortunately, quite a few. Um, uh, I can talk about a few, actually. Nuvem uh, is a company that was analyzing Amazon costs and usage. And we were found in 2013, and we're based in Tel Aviv in Israel, and like you know, it's startup nation, all that stuff. But uh, we're so disconnected physically from from the market that it was very hard for us to to really be part of a discussion because we're just so far away and uh, now we're like ten hours ahead. So you know when I would like you know show up at, at like eleven o'clock in the morning, which over there is kind of early. <laughs> there's no one up, so the day really wouldn't begin until like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. So I mean, fortunately, when we launched Nuvem. We did the funding announcements and the beta announcement. We timed it right, and this is really important to to share. If you are a startup and you've already raised your funds, but you haven't come out to market with that yet, funding announcements are like are like gold. They're like easy kills. They're great one offs. They're very. It's a very easy way to show credibility for your offering, and you only have you know one of those like once every you know two or three years if you're lucky. So timing that is really important. Just engaging like tier A bloggers and letting them know that you raise funds, you have a certain embargo date, and working together with them to kind of time your beta announcement before the funded announcement is very helpful. 
that will help you to get like an initial waterfall. So I'm talking like if they assuming that they link to you and that you you time it right and you've got the right bloggers writing about you, that's actually like a great way to get a great one off and, and lots of traffic to your site and lots of discussions about what you're doing. But the real problem is like what happens after that funding announcement, right? Like what do you do? Like what you have a few thousands of users if, if you're lucky. How can you consistently be a part of the discussion with the influential with the most influential people that are engaging this developer audience? The way that we solve that at that time is, you know, we're this like scrappy startup at the time. <laughs> like I just looked at, you know, what we were doing and I realized that the data that we were collecting behind the scenes was was very valuable. I mean, we were analyzing the cost and usage of some of the hottest startups and even a few enterprises that were actively using the Amazon cloud. And I looked at the most influential bloggers that were engaging in this community and I realized that there's so much speculation on what was happening behind the scenes that no one really knew. So I understood there that we could actually be a source of news whereby we could counter you know, gossip or opinions or speculation with hard data. So what I did is I, you know, just reached out, identified a few um, up and coming bloggers that were covering the Amazon cloud. And I said, look, you know, we've, we compiled like a report, like covering like a statistically relevant sample of Amazon users. And here's what we found, you know, 30% of them are spending, you know, X amounts um, over what they should be spending because they just happen to leave servers on or X amount of Amazon users that we've sampled have like significant security vulnerabilities that could be like solved <laughs> just by a few clicks. And this was like awesome material. When we, you know, we came out with these, we called them cloud reports at the time, and I would come out with them like once every quarter, and we would segment and kind of slice and dice the reports based on different uh, KPIs, like security, cost, and usage, and bloggers just loved them, and they just kept on coming back for more. Yeah, and you talked a little bit about the importance of being a credible news source uh, and making your organization a go-to for news. Why is this important for media relations and strengthening media relationships? <laughs> this is a good question. So uh, unfortunately, bloggers, analysts, and influencers, they don't, they don't care about you. They don't care about your founders. They don't care about your product. They don't care about any of this stuff because there's you know tons of startups that are doing the exact same thing. So the way that, you know, what I found was useful in making us not just like some kind of like trendy feature, but being like a credible source of news is we took the effort to sample what our users wanted and what our users were doing. We quantified that, that, that data and anonymized it. And we found that these kinds of reports were very valuable. And if you look at any successful startup, they tend to do that. Both Redis Labs and Nuvim are definitely classified in that. So at the end of the day, when you are engaging with, uh, with a blogger or with an analyst or with, or, or, or with an influencer, the goal there is you, you want them to come back to you, to ask you about like, you know, I just heard that, I don't know, for example, that Amazon is launching like a, a new, actually I can give you a real example. Uh, Amazon came out with this like, I think it was called Dedicated Instance in 2000, and uh, I think it was like 13. And lots of speculation, but <laughs> there were like four different bloggers that emailed me saying, Cameron, Amazon's making this announcement or they made this announcement. I need, I need to get your opinion on this. So we, we had established this level of credibility where anytime that Amazon was coming out with an announcement, we proved ourselves because we had the data and we had the experts and they would always come to us to kind of counter this speculation with hard data. 
So actually, it's more than just becoming like a news source. It's also becoming an expert in the category that you are attempting to dominate. You can actually like see that like, like Peter Thiel talks about this a little bit as well, whereby he says like, uh, when he speaks about like capitalist versus uh, competition and uses the example of like the San Francisco uh, restaurant scene, you don't want to go into a space where there's lots of competition. You want to try to establish yourself as a capitalist and monopolize that, that uh, category. So I think that that thesis that he says applies very well in this space. So you need to understand how you are an expert in the space that you're covering. Could be, could be Amazon Cloud, it could be security, it could be monitoring some kind of an application. Whatever it is, you actually already are an expert in that if you are succeeding to get people to use your offering on a regular basis and that, and that user base is growing. If you look at that data and you see how it changes over time and what is important to your end users, you can utilize this data as a, almost like an analyst warehouse because you are an expert in that space. And if you identify the right types of trends and buzz that's in the scene that bloggers and analysts are looking for, this is gold for them. They want it. And if you take a look at how they're solving this now, you'll just see talking heads, you know, writing like, you know, self-serving guest posts about their perception on things. Hey, who cares? If you come with hard data and an expert opinion on that, it's a total game changer to just, you know, finding someone's kind of talking head opinion. So I'm now excited about securing coverage for my business. I realize the value of being a news source and being an expert. But my next question is, how do I go about securing coverage in the right channels and what should my engagement strategy be? There's a few ground rules for that. So one, like you need to be following the bloggers and analysts and influencers that are covering your specific section. This is a must, like you've, you've got to engage them. Uh, and we can kind of break that off into two different levels. One is like if you are working with a with a PR firm that is going to bring a Rolodex and can map that out for you, that's great. I would assume you probably aren't. <laughs> and you have to do it on your own. So you need to do that exercise. You need to map out, I mean, I've always mapped out every single person that I could find that was covering SpaceX. So for Nuvem, it was covering Amazon Web Services. For Redis Labs, it was covering Redis. And I would find as many bloggers as I could, I would segment them by the types of outlets that they are working with. So obviously someone who's working at, let's write a column, let's say at like uh, TechCrunch or VentureBeat will have a higher priority than some other blog which I never heard it before. But it's really important to look at how big their audience base is and what kind of audience is following that. Uh, number two, you need to let them know that you are reading what they are saying and that you are able to voice an opinion about that. And the best way to do this, and probably what I found is one of the more, most underutilized ones, is to follow them on Twitter. So even like you know, PR firms, like average PR firms will just email them, right? And they don't really establish that kind of interest with them. Follow them on Twitter, follow them on LinkedIn, or add them on LinkedIn, but look at what they're writing on Twitter, especially like your, you know, your top 10 most influential bloggers and uh, analysts. Follow them, open discussions with them, retweet what they're saying, be active in the social space because it's a great opportunity for them to speak more about what topics they might be uh, contributing like on a blog. It gives them also like carte blanche to speak about anything. This is actually like a super useful way. I've built like really great relationships. Another like kind of like tactic that's really fun <laughs> uh, is if you go to a event like an Amazon Summit or, a, or, or Amazon reInvent, a lot of times, those bloggers and analysts, they are not there at those keynotes. 
<laughs> because the internet sucks, right? So a lot of guys are in the hotel room or they're off site. And that is a great place to talk to them about what's going on because everyone that wants to be heard is talking at those events. And there's nothing better than like getting pinged in real time about what they just wrote and like knowing that there's another question around the corner. It's a great way to build reciprocity and to um, uh, strengthen some of the relationships that you, that you have. I've built like great relationships with bloggers and analysts doing that, it's, it's great. And even better, you can invite them for like beers afterwards too. It's really cool. Yeah, and can you talk a little bit about what kind of pressures journalists are under in this two-way street between a vendor or a member of any organization and the media? That's a good question. So bloggers that are working for some of the more well-known like tech journals or like developer-facing journals, where they're actually working for a company, they're under pressure to write high like quality content but also content that's read and they have their own metrics for that. So it, it can be a challenge for them. So I think like the, the way to look at that is you may not get coverage for whatever you're trying to write about, especially if it's like a feature announcement or something like this. The goal there is you want to get a response. You want to start a discussion with the, with, with the, with the uh, bloggers. So for example, if the, I don't know if you email the blogger and the guy's like, you know, just saying like, oh, you know, it's, now's not a good time. It doesn't need to be taken personally so much. Because the pressure that they're under is like, there are so many different influences that dictate like what they can write about and what they can't. And let's say you've put in all this hard work, developed a great relationship with a reporter. He is on deadline. You get a mention in an article, great hit to your company, but it doesn't link back to your yeah. homepage. Uh, mm -hmm. Increasingly, we're seeing that nowadays oh, yeah. with no link backs. How oh, yeah. can you gartner greater hits with no link back. Yeah, so I think like the expectation there is the days of looking at Google Analytics after you're on like some side and looking at this like crazy spike are, are kind of over. <laughs> the right way to look at that is, is your goal is you, and it's difficult to measure that, is you really, you want to be part of that, of that discussion that developers have about the problems that they are trying to solve. And that all goes back to surrounding the IT organization with content about those problems. There isn't that much that you can do. In many cases, like even like in TechCrunch and other sites, they usually just link back to Crunchbase and other places like this. But the fact is you got the coverage. And this in itself is, is a great goal because you're, you are there. And it's also a great piece of content for you to broadcast over your social channels and even over your lists. So the effect is not something that you're ever gonna be able to measure, especially if it was released on a uh, site, uh, an, an external site. You know, you're not gonna know it, but there are ways that you can amplify that effect. So one is taking that content and syndicating it over your own blog and giving a reference to that. This is great because you got the coverage. This is number one. And promoting that to all of your social channels, to your, through your newsletter, to all of your leads. Uh, referencing it on your site, it gives you like great credibility as well. If the, there is a major difference, I would say, between getting like, I mean, if you, even if you're part of the discussion from a great blogger, this is great. If it's a discussion from an analyst, this is a different kind of credibility that you can, you know, share even to other bloggers. So I think like the, the, the focus there is looking to get the coverage in order to be a part of this discussion. And if it's not going to link back, it's not that much of a problem because the eyeballs are still there. It's just a matter of what you can do with that content once it's published. So would you say it's less about increasing sales and more about increasing buzz and public awareness? Oh yeah, it's, it's all it's all a funnel, right? So you can look at it from like, I am getting like coverage, therefore I should be getting like sales, right? There are many steps between that. So 
in my, my past two startups, we've looked at that back in, in Nuvem days, it was very easy to get linked backed because we would link back, for example, to a report. So we would share like, you know, we would mention like this report is going to go live uh, on our blog. Here's the URL to get the full report. So this would give like, uh, this would motivate the blogger to actually link back to that blog post. It's actually a, a very important thing to distinguish is when you made the decision that you're going to be a news source, you're also making the decision that you're not focused on bringing traffic to your glorious homepage in order to convert users. So as a news source, most of your news will eventually be distributed through your blog. And in many cases, just saying like, you know, dear blogger, you know, here's like a, like a, a brief of the report that we're going to publish. Full report is going to be published you know, X hour on this day. Here's the URL. Now, like you're linking to your blog and this is actually, in, it makes everybody happy because suddenly you're not like, you know, oh, here's another vendor again with their stupid homepage. Like, here's a great report. The full report's like right here. You can see it on their blog. It's like, there's no decision there, right? Sure. You know, bloggers are increasingly becoming very important influencers, which is a great segue into influencer marketing, which I know, Cameron, you have extensive experience in that realm. I'd love for you to tell us about influencer marketing and why companies should have an influencer marketing strategy in place. Influencer marketing is, I mean, by its definition is when you have a well-defined audience of people that you're trying to engage, there are certain people that have a great sway over via their opinions and how they broadcast content to that community. So for example, uh, a great example is open source. If you take a look at open source communities on Twitter, you have you know influencers that are like you know leading open source projects. You can also see this in the vendor realm, where some companies that have that enable their developers to have personas. For example, Netflix, many of the developers have personas, and those guys are very active as influencers in the community of developers on the Amazon cloud. Same goes for Werner Vogels, for example. I mean, this guy is like a great persona and influencer. And obviously, there's there's several layers down with that. When engaging influencers. The great news about that is you have a very focused audience that they necessarily, that, that they can communicate with. And they generally have like one channel, which is usually Twitter, or they might have a, a newsletter base. The good news is that it's very easy to share content with them and to, and to engage them. So I'd say the right way to, you know, to approach that is to first like find like the most, the biggest ones that engage the widest net that you want to engage, which would be developers. And to also like, Look at the other extreme, which are you may be, if you're in security or in monitoring, there might be specific community leaders that are that are very uh, influential in, the, in those communities. You have to develop relationships with them in the same kind of way as I've discussed, like with bloggers, like follow them, uh, create discussions with them, and then slowly share with them uh, content about what you're doing, or just open up discussions generally about the problems that you're trying to solve. And with the, that discussion, and when they've established some layer of trust with you you can begin to be a little bit more proactive and you know, sharing them like, you know, embargoed content or reports, webinars, this sort of thing. Sure. And opening up content on public facing material can be a really scary thing. We've had member companies come to us and say that the drawback that they see from influencer marketing is that it isn't as controllable as traditional marketing. Mm -hmm. What is your advice? Do you agree with this yeah, statement? I love that actually. Like, <laughs> it's kind of, it sounds kind of crazy, but like sometimes the best news is, is bad news because generally if you get, it doesn't, it applies to like a blogger, applies to an analyst, also applies to an influencer. So if you, you know, share with them some, I don't know, announcement or some content or report and like, 
they shine it as if, as if this is like the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> it's usually not like, it's, it's great, but like you won't get much of a discussion about that. Generally the, the discussions happen when there's a controversy or a debate about something. So what would separate from my experience like a well-written article to like an awesome article or even a tweet for that matter or content of, of any kind from any kind of, um, of third party is when they pivot that to like, you know, to, to speak about risks, competitors, or problems that you might actually have because this opens up a great discussion which if, for example, if it's in a blog post, you can, you can continue this discussion and respond to it on Twitter. It's great. If an influencer is doing this on, on Twitter, you've got the same opportunity. But generally, these are the, the necessities to create a lot of discussions with that influencer's audience. It's almost expected. And I would say if you are going back to this thesis of being an expert and a news source, you've got to welcome that as well. Oh, and one more thing that is important to look at is there might be vulnerabilities that you have to address at some point. So rather than like keeping those vulnerabilities or those weaknesses like, I don't know, to deal with later, you may as well know about them now. So the sooner that they're exposed and the sooner that you have the opportunity to respond to them and, and, and remedy them, the better it is for you. All of this sounds great, Cameron. We've gone over how to identify the right channels and engage with the media and the importance of media relationships. But what happens if I have this main target that I need to get in front of? He covers my beat every single day and it's like an endless pit of emails. It's a one-way relationship, and every day I get shot down with zero response. Oh yeah, this is, this is a good question. So there's, there's two ways I would say you should look at that. One is you never know what's going on in that person's life. So like I've always, I've always learned like don't take this stuff personally. So especially if you're just trying to, just trying to start this, this relationship and you're going through the process, following them on, on Twitter and adding them on LinkedIn, and you're engaging them over email, is you have to continue to like alert them and just let them know what you're doing like with very short emails. They may not be responsive, but generally speaking, if you're in the, you have a kind of like, you know, quantity versus quality play. So one is like, if you're giving them good stuff, they know it and they're gonna be responsive. If it takes you a few times to do it, you know, just keep on, just keep on soldiering on is what I would say. I think another thing to look at is even if you've been able to reach out to a, you know, like a blogger that has covered you once in a while, but just doesn't like feel like covering it, or you worked really hard on this like piece and like no one is taking it, this, is, this can be detrimental because especially if you are a marketing person, you invested the time to say like, you know, we've got a great story, we have like, you know, great data on Amazon or Montreal or something like this, uh, but no one's taking it. Like the question is like, what do you do with it, right? So a few things to think about. One is like set very specific timeframes of, of when you're gonna do this, like give it like three days. Pick a few tier A bloggers that you want to engage with and just reach out to one. If one takes it, you know, bingo, do it. If, if, the, other per if the person is like not responsive or doesn't, doesn't want to take it forward, then reach out to someone else. But just ensure that scarcity is, is, is understood here. So email that blogger and say, look, you know, I've, we're, we're going we're gonna to release this announcement in 24 hours on our, on our blog post. Uh, state the embargo date on that. And if they respond to you, awesome. If they don't, go to the next person. If no one covers it at all, it's okay. Place it on your blog anyway and follow up with all of them and say, hey, just want to update you. You know, if, you know we shared this on, a, on our blog. You know, it would be great to get your opinion on this or if you would, you know, it's very valuable to, 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 a, to, a, to developers in this space. Feel free to share this on Twitter and paste the link to the tweet that you wrote about the report. 
in many cases, I've seen that bloggers that would not cover me would do that. And also influencers, it happens all the time. They love this because they have much more freedom to broadcast whatever they want, They're looking for additional content to spark a discussion with their, with their end users, and it's, it's easy. It's just like copy-paste, few lines, and you push tweet, right? It's not like you have to go into WordPress and like think about going to a manager or something like this, or to an editor. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. When is it appropriate to pick up the phone and dial a reporter direct? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I think that there's, <laughs> you, have to, you have to kind of sense like how good you are on the phones and how willing you are to like, you know, be hung up on potentially. Also depends on how well you know the person. I believe that most bloggers from my experience are most responsive over email. Phone calls can be like extremely interruptive. And you don't know if they're in the middle of like, I don't know, writing an article or picking up their kids or something like this. So I, I would always say try it out because at the end of the day, it isn't about you. It's about the message that you're bringing. So if you're going back to this thesis that like you are a source of good stuff, then they're going to take the phone call or they're going to be responsive to the email. If you're not doing that, then, you know, I wouldn't expect much response from, from the phone. But I would definitely be respective to that. I mean, if, if, if they're asking you not to, not to talk to them on the phone, like, don't, don't do it ever again. But I found in general, like, the best way is to, like, just continuously, like, you know, float the email on top of the inbox. Like, I would do that a lot. Like, I would just, you know, respond that I would respond to the email. If I wasn't getting a response and say, I'm just floating this on top of your inbox, let me know if you're interested. Floating this on top of your inbox, you know, one, one of the line, you know, like, I'm going to probably, like, launch this on the blog in the next 12 hours. I'll give you an exclusive. Let me know. Um, that's in the case of working with, uh, with our bloggers. And I think, you know, it's okay because it's set, it's set an expectation for both of us. So I let the blogger know, like, look, like, you know, I value what you can do, but also this is like awesome content for your readers. I'm taking this out to print on my blog. If you're, if you're down to participate, you know, I'm giving you an opportunity to do so. Let me know if you're interested and I can, you know, push it back or not. If not, you know, I'm not, I'm not waiting. I'm pushing this out of my blog and, and the, I'm, I'm, it's, it's going to be made available to as many eyeballs as, as I can get. So it's either you or it's my blog. It's likely also important to understand how a newsroom works. For example, if you're pitching a tech earnings reporter, you're likely not going to be wanting to pitch at 2 p.m. Pacific time oh, yeah. during earnings season. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is a good point. Um, I think you can look at it on a very micro level. Like You need to, th you need to think about when they're like most responsive to emails. So for my test, I would, you know, I would do it like as early in the morning as possible when they, you know, so that they don't wake up and see like an inbox of, you know, unread emails. I mean, who wants to go through that? Like I, I want to be the one that's the first one on that's, that's, that's on their inbox. So I would try to like, <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would follow them on Twitter. Uh, I had them, like, you know, I have, I, I have the ones that I'm working with like on Hootsuite. And when I see them tweeting, that's when I'm emailing. So you know when they're awake. Oh, yeah. But I also know that they're not like, they're not in the middle of doing something else. They're not like, you know, cooking breakfast. They're not dropping the kids off to school. They're not writing anything. Like they're like on Twitter, right? So they're probably like better engaged or more responsive to content. It's like a psychological practice. It's not like a hack or anything. It's just like simple psychology. Like there are times when people are like more active in like uh, creating content and like, you know, reading emails uh, responding to things, considering and thinking about things. So I really try to like get as much as I can into the workflow of not only the developer audience, but the people that are engaged in that audience. So I would like, you know, look and like see when, they, when, when they're like, you know, okay, probably reading an article or looking at something and, and, they're, and they're posting this on, on uh, Twitter. Interesting. And when you do get these reporters on the line, 
Do you feel like reporters have a validation of the importance of the news if there is a press release involved rather than going the route of a blog post link? Oh, uh, look, I, I think that press releases, it's kind of like a fax machine. Like it's something that everyone does and you have to do it. But generally speaking, you just put yourself in the shoes of like a, of like a blogger and a, and a professional writer. I mean, like when you get a press release, it's, it's essentially it's like, you know, the news is already over. Everyone already knows about it. So it also says that like, you know, I'm giving an invitation to like whoever wants to read it. It's, it doesn't really take advantage of this great relationship that I have with the blogger. So as many times as possible, I would stay away from producing press releases until the news was broken. Because no one reads press releases anyway. It's old stuff, right? You put it on the wire. No, if you put a press release on the wire, no one's going to cover that. There might be some people that will cover it, but probably not. You're not going to get like the, the high quality influencer and, and blogger eyeballs on that press release. It's old news once it's already on the wire. So you got to engage. I've always found I've, I want to package the offering as a present to each blogger that I know. So I'll do it one at a time and I'll let, I'll let them have the opportunity to take it forward. If they want it, they can take it. If they don't want it, then I'll decide if I'll you know, take it to somebody else or if I'll put it on my blog. But I, I don't like, you know, produce it and then put it on, on, the, on the wire. And in many cases, like, you know, press releases are great just to, uh, as a way to like broadcast content that wasn't as popular in some cases. So this is a tactic to try which is, you know, I'm putting out a press release just about, you know, a report that we did and no one covered that. And it could be even after you've, you've, you've made like your blog post and you've even used your own internal uh, processes to, to broadcast that. But I've just found like when you're at such an early stage, the value of a press release in many cases, I don't think warrants the priority that many people put on it. Producing a press release is not success. Getting coverage is, is success. And you know it's a means to an end. So you can put it, you can create it, and you can put it on your in, in the personal section. It's, it's cool and everything, but I found that the that the output of what it does is not as uh, valuable as like engaging with the writer and the blogger and giving him like you know his own personalized awesome piece of uh, piece of content, which he can share with his readers. Cool. So Cameron, another question that we get a lot from our member companies is around continuous delivery. In the age of continuous delivery, uh, dev tools are being updated daily, almost hourly, and now businesses really need to be real-time. While this is great, this rapid iteration to their products, how do you plan for a concrete launch? Yeah, this is an important question to ask. So uh, I think that the days of like glorious like launches and like feature announcements are, are effectively over. It, only unless you're like, I don't know, you're like a huge company or you're like in series like DE or like F financing, you're going to get coverage like this. So there's a, there's a few different ways to look at this. Like first, like a few facts. Number one is once this feature is in place, it's doubtful that a lot of people, especially your end users, even know about it unless you've told them about it. This is really important. The, and the external community probably doesn't know anything about it at all. That's number one. Number two is uh, these kinds of uh, features and, and, and launches, they're not particularly attractive for uh, bloggers and influencers to cover unless they latch on to a trend or like a controversial topic. I'll go back to an example at NuVem. Like we had uh, created a, a solution that was creating like a visual dashboard of utilization uh, within, Am within Amazon. And it was really cool. It was a utilization heat map. And we had it in the product. And we had like great uh, feedback from this. And I shared it with um, with a really influential blogger, 
And what I thought was like a kind of, you know, interesting feature for him was like, wow, this is so amazing. Like there's nothing out there that visualizes your Amazon utilization. This is, this is awesome. I want to go out with this tomorrow. I, you know, go for it. So, I mean, that really goes back to like, you know, I was, we were able to like, without really knowing it, we were like, you know, pinpoint with a very specific trend and need that was out there. So it goes back to the problem. So having said that, the way that I would look at that is like with, with continuous delivery, it's, you know, it's a technical term, but the application is still that you are still interfacing and making your improved offerings available to your end users. So it is great content and material to share with bloggers and with, uh, with analysts and with influencers because it keeps you on the radar map. You gotta make it very tight with the problems that you're solving so that they see that and you're, you're really uh, connecting with a specific trend. So for example, if it's an open source technology or if it's a monitoring technology and you align yourself with that, with that need and you mention how this feature is solving that, keeps yourself on the radar. They may not cover it, they probably won't cover it. Probably the best way to get coverage for these is not by explicitly speaking about the feature. It's more about letting your customers like speak about you. So find those lighthouse, you know, awesome, well-known customers that are using your offering, and reach out to them, and you know, work with them to see like if they understand what their success is with with, uh, with your offering, what problems they had that you solved, and if they're using this feature, it's a great byline. So generally, the story is like you know, this customer is using X offering to solve this kind of problem, right, and. You know, articles about that, and then by the way, there's this really cool feature within the solution which really helped them to you know solve this kind of problem. That's generally the right, the best way that I've seen these types of feature announcements being particularly interesting to to bloggers and influencers. So, what do you do when some of your great customers are not willing to speak to the media on your behalf? For example, some of our member companies are in the security space. And yeah. they are doing some amazing things for the clients, but clients aren't wanting to publicly speak because it's yeah. going to be exposing their own vulnerabilities. Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't have experience in security, but I can see how that could be a problem. I really believe it's all in your pitch because any kind of like, if you look at like IT, like services, it's already saying like, you cannot solve this problem, therefore our solution is better, right? <laughs> so you're already tapping into vulnerabilities and like things that people cannot solve. So. I, the pitch should always like you know follow a few ground rules I found, and the first one is you've got to find like how you made like a negative into a positive, or how you made a neutral into a positive, not about how you fixed you know how you put out a fire. So I would search for those kinds of use cases. This is number one. Number two is you have to like hone in on the needs and interests of the IT department, and there are some common needs which are I, I need to evangelize my own offering in order to showcase the value that it has to the developer community. And number two, I want to put my offer in front of talented developers because I'm probably hiring as well. If you hold into those two things, you generally can get like a decent discussion because those guys are so poor in PR currency, but they really need it. They really need someone to say like, you know, the infrastructure behind like this company is like crazy awesome and they're using like really cool new technologies. Therefore, the IP value of this company is, uh, is of its technology is, is high, and this is a really cool place to work. So I've always found that like you know following those two rules is a great way to at least get a discussion, and from there on you know it's just a matter of your own relationship and you know looking at the at the specifics of the vulnerabilities that they have and trying to find a way to solve that. Okay, great, great explanation. 
Well, thank you everyone for joining today. Thank you, Cameron. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, if you have any questions uh, or if you want to participate in the discussion, anything that you want to say about this, uh, please follow me on Twitter. It's at uh, Cameron Perone. You can see it in the, in the page of this podcast is hosted. Uh, feel free to follow me, open up a discussion, happy to answer questions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pitch Room, brought to you by HeavyBit. HeavyBit is a nine-month program and community for developer-facing startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com.